I want to let you in on a little secret. There's something that I find really fascinating about this period of time of year. And that is typically that you spend it obligatorily with people. It's these kind of obligations which I find really fascinating. They're ultimately something that I want to deconstruct in my own life. I want to understand a little bit more about why I do some of the things that I do. And certainly in recent months, recent years really, the persistent and constant migraines that I've been suffering has enabled me to deconstruct some of my own psychology. I'm now 41, but for a good portion of my life actually, I have occasionally taken Hajj to an area called the High Desert. And I've done this primarily because this is where my wife's parents live. And when I first started dating my wife, when I was in my mid-twenties, I would go down to a place called Victorville in California. And for a number of years, Victorville was the location that I went to. And when we first came back to the US, we stayed in Victorville for probably three months, maybe, while I interviewed with places in LA and ultimately we ended up in Las Vegas. So my knowledge of Victorville now has many, many years worth of experiences. But one of the things I find very curious about Victorville is that there is still a Barnes & Noble. Now that in and of itself is a curiosity. I used to joke with my wife that we actually had caused bookstores to go out of business. We were heavy shoppers at Borders. I don't know of my Borders selection what I still have. I think I've given almost all the stuff that I purchased at Borders away. But we went there so frequently, we were on their Better Buyers program. We got a wide variety of things through Borders, and when the Borders closed, we went in and bought a couple more armfuls of books. My addiction to books is a long-term thing, but sideline to this, I also have a slight addiction to magazines. And this is where Victorville is absolutely fascinating to me, because the Barnes & Noble at the Victor Valley Mall is the only Barnes & Noble I've ever been to that continues to surprise me with regards to magazines. The breadth of magazines at this particular Barnes & Noble is astonishing. And it's particularly astonishing because it has a quality that I only ever saw in the UK. In the UK, you would go to what were called newsagents, and you could get three or four magazines on any given topic. Any topic! From raising chickens, to model railroads, to toy soldiers, to planes, to antique bikes, to house restoration, every possible kind of cooking, brewing, a wide variety of topics. There were three or four magazines that defined that particular niche. And the UK, for me, this magazine thing was sufficient that when we went back to the UK, we were in Wilmslow, I actually went into, now what was it called, WH Smith, and purchased an armful of magazines. The same phenomena always happens to me at the Victor Valley Mall. In fact, it's something that I look forward to when I go back to the high desert, that I can go into a Barnes & Noble and explore niches, buy magazines that I never would see anywhere else. For example, people may be familiar with the podcast where I was kicked off associated with the negative review that I did associated with some war game stuff. The fellow who got me kicked off the podcast, his magazine long since folded, out of business. It was folded into another Wargaming's magazine, and this magazine kicked him out about a year ago. And he's found himself in another Wargaming magazine. So I purchased an armful of Wargaming magazines, 
was so completely relieved and pleased to see that he had finally left one publication and it was only a few days later as I was flipping through the pages that I realised he'd actually defected to another wargaming publication. Oh, well, small blessings in these circumstances. Thankfully, I only buy magazines twice a year, perhaps. Anyway, what I've begun to establish associated with the Victor Valley Mall's Barnes & Noble is that in this area, in this area of the high desert, there are people that are like me. Now, most of the time that I've spent in the high desert, in fact, almost all of it, has been in the company of my in-laws. And my in-laws create a universe around them, which is so completely well-defined, well-documented, well-understood, that when I enter their environment, I just take on their universe. And it's an interesting narrative, because when I started listening to podcasts, when I started creating and listening to podcasts, 2005, 2006, I used to love listening to radical, extremist, survivalist kind of podcasts, people that were going out into the middle of nowhere and just surviving in the desert. And to a certain extent, my in-laws embody some of that. But my great frustration through these podcasts was that they were always, they had a good talk, but they never actually were really about the revolution, right? They were about amassing firearms and all this kind of stuff, but they still then supported the sheriff who was just a Republican. They had this narrative associated with how everything was going to revolt and, you know, there were going to be all these wars and all this other kind of stuff within the country. But mysteriously, they were all just Republicans at the end of the day. And I think that emotion associated with why can't people radicalise sufficient where they actually discard this connection associated with a political party, like that's the kind of legitimization I'd like to see. But mysteriously, no, just maintaining some narrative, but then mysteriously still supporting the Republic. And I think that's my greatest frustration associated with my in-laws. They're people that have seen hardship, that have gone through a variety of different experiences. They are the original small business owner in terms of all their narratives, in terms of narratives of when things were good, in terms of narratives of paying people, giving people quality of life, lending people money to buy houses, all these kind of things. The notion of the small business owner, which is so central to an ideological philosophy that you see in this country. And in particular, when things started going rough, when my father-in-law lost his sight, all these other kind of components in their life, their business disappeared. And it maintained itself in a series of very curious steel things that are in their back. Now, I haven't really described their house at all. When I first started dating my wife, really for probably, I don't know, the first 10 years that we were together, my in-laws lived in Victorville. They lived in what was a relatively largest house. It was never really suburban, but the suburbs grew around it. The suburbs were created amongst the house. Originally, it was a house just in the middle of the desert, and then the paved roads came in. Then all the other various bits and pieces came in electricity, sewage, all the kinds of things one really should distrust in the world. And then when my father-in-law's failing health, they decided to move to a place called Phelan, which then put them right in the middle of the desert again. And while they have neighbours per se, these are neighbours at some degree of distance. And really their closest neighbours are rabbits, various snakes, these kind of things. I mean, basically they live out amongst the Joshua trees which could seem very romantic for many people. In fact, really what I try to do, what I try to embody, the emotion I try to embody 
when I go to my in-laws is associated with this kind of survivalist mentality. But really, it's not that. It's not something that's taken to an extreme. It's still something which is comfortably survivable and here portrayed by watching cable news and these kind of things. So whenever I go there, I just have to accept that I'm not getting a degree of not necessarily authenticity, but a degree of insight that I would normally look for. Instead, what I'm getting is my in-laws reality. And this returns to the magazine selection at Barnes & Noble, because this is the paradox that I have. When I recorded Stone Ape, we had a listener who actually lived near my in-laws. And I thought to myself, particularly in the most recent visit, what stops people that are politically and ideologically and just perspective different living in this part of the world? I mean, although it's desert, although it doesn't have a lot of opportunities, it could lend itself to a variety of different ideologies. I had a somewhat curious experience this trip. The nature of the end-of-year festivities requires that sometimes you need a little antiacid. And we developed a list of things that we needed, including antiacid and cough drops and a variety of other things, that required a purchase at a pharmacist. Um, I think it was CVS from memory. It's either CVS or Walgreens. They're omnipresent. I know one carries cigarettes, the other one doesn't. But aside from that, I really don't know the difference when I'm inside one of them. They just strike me as a kind of generic pharmacy place. So I went into the pharmacy and gathered together all the items. I needed some help finding the Q-tips. The woman was very helpful. And then I ended up at the checkout. Now, the checkout was particularly interesting. There was only one person cashing people out through the checkout. I think that's the right vernacular. And that one person was helping a woman an extraordinarily large amount. Now, the woman had put her cart, so it was taking the entire place where I would normally put down the half a dozen items that I'd collected. Slightly more than half a dozen, enough to be annoying, in fact. And as I waited, I observed a very curious transaction, but while I was waiting, there were an increasing number of people behind me all doing a similar kind of juggling act with their stuff until it reached the order of eight people. Now, I need to explain what was going on at the checkout. The woman had two bottles of mouthwash, and she was getting another two bottles of mouthwash at a discount, which she had a, a coupon for. A coupon. Always important to get the right words. So we waited and waited and waited while she found the coupon, and then they charged her too much, and then they had to get a manager to remove the charge, and then they had to get the manager again to redo the charge, and then it turns out that she had another set of coupons and she wanted to buy some more mouthwash. Now, the nature of the high desert is that you would assume that there was something nefarious going on associated with the mouthwash. She was buying non-alcoholic mouthwash, which makes me wonder, is this part of some new drug manufacturer? Like, are people making speed now with non-alcoholic mouthwash? What is the whole deal with this mouthwash? And why did she need so much of it? So after the second, third interaction associated with this couponing, I realized that this was going to be a 20-minute interaction at minimum. And while I gathered the frustration of people behind me, she hadn't even realized that a cart was blocking the ability for any of us to put our items down and get closer to the cash register. So after, I don't know, about 10 minutes... The fellow called for another person to come to the checkout to maintain the other register. And they went over and they said, well, next person online. And I said, look, no, the person behind me can go. 
this kind of craziness can't go on forever. Where I looked at the woman holding her four things of mouthwash, trying to get a additional discount, even though it was only supposed to be two mouthwashes per coupon. She had multiple coupons, but it was two mouthwashes per coupon per family, which had been explained about four times. But still, it appears that the cashier and the coupon woman were in cahoots in some way. I think they were on a first-name basis. She obviously was their number one customer, at least. It was $1.50 for the mouthwash. That was the total transaction. So when I came up to the cashier, and the, the coupon woman was still there. She was still hovering. She still wanted to try and get an additional discount for the mouthwash. But when the fellow came to check me out, he said to me, do you have a, it must be a CVS card, because he asked me if I had a CVS card. And I said, look, I'm not interested in a discount. I just want to get the hell out of here as fast as possible. Just check me out. At which time the woman behind me said, I've got a card, flashed it in front. She scanned it. I don't know what discounts I got. I didn't really care by that stage. And I got two bags. My transaction was in the order of $40, including the two plastic bags, which obviously they have to charge for in California. But having left that environment, I realized that the poverty in the high desert is very real. The couponing phenomena, all these kind of things, it's very real. But there must be other people out there. And I've come to this through another realization. There was a part of Wyoming we went through that was just absolutely fascinating to me. It... Wyoming as a place was fascinating to me, but this was a town that I really liked and was interested in. And I've looked at the houses in that town and they're comparable to California Bay Area prices. I can't understand how houses in Wyoming are going for 600, 700, 800,000, 1.2 million dollars. This seems to me crazy talk that remote parts of Wyoming with tiny towns are still selling. Well, look. They've been on the market for 460 days, but still they're there and whatever crazy realtors are trying to sell them for this price. There might be something like that in the high desert. In fact, we did a test on the way in that there were houses in the high desert that could be in the vicinity of 600000 to a million dollars. And they typically have large blocks of land, what have you. But there's certainly people living in that area that aren't picking coupons. And within that mentality, there must be people that have some degree of philosophical similarity to me. I mean, we've had, I've had one listener, right, from that area, indicating either that the person, I don't know, got nothing better to do, or that they're philosophically attuned with certain aspects of some of the stuff that I say, or maybe Heronstone devotee, who knows. And within that, these kind of existences can occur in the high desert. So I guess there's a problem here that I'm setting myself associated with trying to understand the high desert. And really, honestly, the end of year festivities, the consumption of antiacids, these kind of things, the dietary gymnastics, the, I don't know what one would call it, the nature of an all-American, all-can-based Christmas is a phenomenon which ultimately predates my wife, in fact, associated with my own experiences with it. But it is a long road back to the Northern Californian lifestyle following such a long Christmas. And I guess part of this is associated with a notion of not just neuro-linguistic programming, that is being surrounded by a whole lot of talking and speaking only very little, which seems to be my experience visiting the high desert. But also, I think about the programming through food. I think of food as like a primary programming thing. 
And the kind of food that one consumes through these experiences also adds to the cognitive malaise associated with this stuff. So maybe there is a sufficient number of people in the high desert. And here we're talking about half a dozen people, I'm assuming. The half a dozen people that are crazy war gamers, plastic model builders, model railroaders. I mean, there are enough people in the high desert to make this Barnes & Noble carry a wide variety of very strange and eclectic magazines. And I reflect on the fact that these people live there somewhere. Do they have communities? When we were first going to move back, when we first were going to live briefly with my in-laws, I investigated what kind of wargaming stuff was in the high desert. And there was actually a Yahoo group and people that met periodically. There were a couple of game shops within, I don't know, a 50-mile radius. So there was stuff that necessitated people to be interested in this stuff. And I remember seeing photographs of battles and games and a sense that people did live there that had some interests. And for a period of time, there was a paintball stall there. I remember going to that periodically. But now the population has grown even more. But the kind of stores that I'd be looking for, aside from the Barnes & Noble, just aren't there. And it's funny when I think about this notion of the beacon, that the Barnes & Noble is in fact a beacon, to say, Tom, believe me, there are others in this place that may be a little bit like you. They may not be in the majority, they may not be in the vast minority, but like I say, there's at least half a dozen folk that can support a Barnes & Noble having a selection of magazines, which seem to me to be relatively unique, and also offer an insight which I think should resolve itself in my own mind. Now, will the others find me? Can the others find me? Have at least one of the others found me through this experience? Hard to say. One of the things that I wanted to conclude with, which also struck me about how surreal this environment is, is the number of people that my wife knows through high school that were killed in car accidents. The number is six. It's an extraordinarily large number. It's a number which actually, when we started going through this, when I started dating my wife, more than 17 years ago. This was something that came up periodically, and it was only probably in the past five years that I've actually started counting the number of people that were killed in car accidents. It just initially was something, a discussion that would come up. My wife would say, oh, yeah, I went to school with so-and-so, but they died in a car accident. And, oh, yeah, these two were killed here. And, oh, yeah, and you have these kind of piecemeal stories associated with these people dying in car accidents. And then, mysteriously you realise that actually it was six. And part of it is associated with the roads in that part of the world. I mean, recently they're paving more of them, they're putting in more traffic lights. But I can just imagine the nature of teenage drivers and long desert roads. And really, most of the people were killed by speeding, what do I call, I guess, road trains? What do you call them? Like trucks? You know, big engines barreling through, just taking people out. It's an extraordinarily large number of people to die in a small community in a small length of time. But that's just the nature of the high desert, you know? It's a very different environment. Far less organic in some regard than I find myself in most of the time. But it's an exercise to go back periodically and to remind myself I'm back in the high desert having these experiences, gotta alter these aspects of my perception, gotta prepare myself for this kind of culinary, what would one call it, barrage perhaps? Just live, experience life, and then realize that this isn't the end. 
And I guess I reflect somewhat that there was a period of time when I returned to the US, not that the high desert was ever the end, but it was certainly a returning point, which has now been 17 years of my life, returning to this place. When I first started dating my wife, she invited me to Christmas with her family. And it was that introduction to her that basically continued us dating onwards. There were lots of things that happened through that time period. My in-laws were in a completely different space. They had a business that was flourishing. They had connections with family members, some of whom they were employing through the business, which always helps. But yes, it was a different world then. And returning periodically, particularly for the Christmas festivities, I realised that a lot of those experiences are really an homage to Christmas's past. Maybe I should be happy with that. That I'm actually now part of Christmas's past, as well as Christmas's present. And maybe even Christmas's future. Tom Barbelay, now back in the Bay Area, signing out.